America and other free and open societies face crucial challenges and opportunities abroad that affect security and prosperity at home. This is a series of conversations with guests who bring deep understanding of today's battlegrounds and creative ideas about how to compete, overcome challenges, capitalize on opportunities, and secure a better future. I am H.R. McMaster. This is Battlegrounds. On today's episode of Battlegrounds, our focus is on Europe and the country of Poland, a committed NATO and American ally. Our guest, General Rymon Andrzejczyk, is Chief of the General Staff of the Polish Armed Forces. General Andrzejczyk has served in the Polish military for over three decades and was nominated to the rank of General in 2019. He is the recipient of the Order of the Second Class Military Cross, Commander's Cross, Star of Iraq, and Star of Afghanistan. He is a graduate of the Military Academy of the Armed Forces in Poznan, the Defense Academy of the Czech Army, the National Defense Academy in Warsaw, and the Royal College of Defense Studies in London. Poland is located between historically major powers, with a lack of natural borders that allowed for frequent military attacks. Between 1772 and 1795, Austria, Russia, and Prussia partitioned Poland three times until the state was wiped off the map. The Polish state did not arise again until the end of World War I, when the Allies demanded its rebirth in the 1919 Treaty of Versailles. Following World War I, in 1920, the Polish army in Warsaw held off a Soviet westward offensive in the battle known as the Miracle on the Vistula. In 1939, Nazi Germany signed the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact with the Soviets, a non-aggression agreement to allow yet another partition of Poland. On September 1, 1939, Hitler began World War II with the Blitzkrieg invasion of Poland. Seventeen days later, the Soviet Union invaded Poland from the east, and 17 days after, Poland lost its independence again. During the brutal Nazi and communist occupation, Poland suffered some of the highest civilian casualties in the war. Nazi Germany pursued industrial-style genocide in the territories under its control and established a network of death camps, including Auschwitz and Treblinka, within Poland. At the same time, Stalin masterminded the elimination of Polish elites, including the massacre of thousands of Polish officers in the forests near Katyn. Yet despite their military defeat, Poles, led by their government in exile in London, sided with the Allied powers and formed underground resistance movements against the Germans. The most famous and tragic action was the 1944 Warsaw Uprising, which failed after weeks of fighting due in part to purposeful lack of Soviet support. Post-World War II, Poland fell under Soviet domination. The country's borders were redrawn at the Potsdam Conference, redistributing much of the eastern land to the Soviets. In 1947, Poland became a communist people's republic after Soviet-rigged elections. The unsuccessful anti-Stalinist protests of 1968 by students and intelligentsia, prompted the government's repression of dissident movements shortly thereafter. By 1970, 
widespread protests fueled by spikes in food price and the deterioration of the Polish economy engulfed the country. In the 1980s, the opposition to the communist rulers united. The intellectuals joined hands with the workers, giving rise to the Solidarity Trade Union, a Catholic-inspired movement to protect workers. Afraid of losing control, the communist government, supported by Moscow, imposed martial law in December 1981. But a few years later, due to the persistent opposition of the vast majority of the population, deeply rooted in the Catholic faith, the communists were forced to negotiate partially free elections, which in 1989 resulted in a coalition government. Soviet control over Central Europe unraveled. By 1993, all Soviet troops left Poland, with the last forces leaving on September 18th, a symbolic date given the Soviet invasion of the country on September 17, 1939. Polish President Lech Walesa, the former leader of the Solidarity Trade Union, watched them leave and announced that law, freedom, and democracy had won. In 1999, Poland joined NATO, and its forces participated in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Poland remains a strong NATO ally in the face of growing threats. We welcome General Andrzejczyk to discuss the U.S.-Poland relationship and security challenges including an increasingly aggressive Russia, energy security, and transnational terrorism. General Andrzejczyk, welcome to Battlegrounds. It is good to host a fellow cavalry officer. Thank you for joining us uh, at what I know is a very busy time for you and the Polish Armed Forces to help us understand better the security situation in Europe. Hello, hello, HR, and hello for everybody. Uh, really, it's busy, busy time, uh, full of challenges, but living in Poland here in a very unique uh, strategical geolocation is, is very important. So uh, it's a big pleasure and honor for me to be here and to get a, a chance to present uh, some Polish uh, perspective of uh, security. So hello for everybody. Raymond, I thought I'd begin with a, a general question for a general officer. I thought maybe you could could help explain uh, the Polish perspective on international security based on based on Poland's 1,000-year historical experience, geography, and the fact that today Poland is, again, on, on the eastern front of an increasingly dangerous competition with Russia. Oh, yeah, it is. So 1,000 of, uh, of history and a very unique uh, location matters for us. And uh, when, when I'm circulating and talking to my counterparts and presenting my point of view, I see uh, very often that uh, we're looking in the today's situation in a very short perspective, no keeping in mind that uh, the geo strategy and history matters. So first of all, a very important uh, relation, Poland and the United States we have is a critical. So historically, it's not like a last couple of decades and not only uh, since the Iraqi or, or Afghanistan uh, war. So historically, uh, we, the very important, uh, the point is uh, symbolically is 1772 is the, is the point where we lost independence. And we lost independence for 123 years. And uh, since that point, uh, the, our um, cooperation and relation, I mean, Poland and the United States, were always very, very important. So 1772 is also important uh, date in the history of the United States. So uh, although we lost, uh, our independence and we disappeared from a map. 
a lot of Polish uh, patriots and warriors, commanders were very, very active uh, everywhere. So uh, there's, there's no doubts that the Kosciuszko and Kowalski, I know that will be very difficult pronunciation for Americans. But when I was in, in Washington and I saw a statue of uh, Kosciuszko and Kowalski, I said, well, that's, that's very important. Uh, the Polish patriots and soldiers fighting for, for independence. And then uh, an uh, understanding of a situation after 123 years, when we uh, were about to uh, go back to the map and um, have, uh, support of uh, President Wilson and his commitment in the political processes to uh, regain independence and uh, you know, all of the things going back to, to Poland to the map, also very uh, well recognized in Poland and appreciated. President Reagan, Cold War, and President Ju uh, Bush, when we started joining to NATO and, uh, and also our commitment in, the, in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's the, that's the piece of history you and me, we, we know pretty well. And uh, so the, the relation uh, between Poland and the United States historically is very, very tight and very, very important. Uh, before we go to uh, assessment of security, also very important to mention, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's the, the US contribution and the security right now in Poland. We have, uh, you know, uh, installations. We have a, a permanent presence here. We have um, really good uh, modernizational programs. So enough reasons to to stay close and to um, and to build security environment. Um, but now today, uh, uh, HR, we're living in a completely different dimension than in the in the in the historic context. The so new strategical conditions they were very important, starting from 1991. Three decades of prosperity and, and permissive economical cycle is over. Globalization is in the question mark. Uh, Russia is back to the table. There's no better place to discuss right now in Poland. Uh, we have, uh, we have uh, all of the dynamics we see and, and we're tracking and we're discussing the US pivot to Pacific, which is understood because uh, the competition with, with, the, with China. And we have a lot of points of uh, discussion concerning energy and everything what we put to the box called uh, Eastern policy for Poland, for uh, Eastern flank, for European Union, NATO, and, and Western, uh, Western society, which is Belarus and Ukraine. So that's the, that's the uh, general review. Yeah, that's of, a great, it's a great introduction. I, I'd like to talk with you about each of those topics. And I thought maybe to, to start off, you might give, give us your assessment of how well the U.S. and NATO are, 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 and Poland are all working together uh, under the context of this European Deterrence Initiative. But I also would love to hear just more about your experience in a huge transition in the Polish Armed Forces from 1991. I think I told you earlier, you know, I, was, I was in the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment on the border of East and West Germany when, when East Germany lifted travel restrictions to the West. And then we saw the East German government fade away and the Soviet Union break apart and, and usher in a profoundly new era. And, and you've, you've helped lead across your career a massive transformation uh, in the Polish armed forces. And might you share some of that experience and then your assessment of, of how the US, NATO and Poland are working together now to deter Russian aggression on really, I think, a, a, a new you know, frontier, a new you know, Eastern front uh, in the confrontation with uh, with Russia, yeah, it's a front. It's it's not nice nice word, and we will we'll explain a bit. Uh, yeah, really, it's 1991. 
it was historical point for many reasons. Uh, you know it from a, from a periscope of your M1 uh, tank uh, and, and a fine tower counter division, and I was promoted to second lieutenant. And uh, and being you know young commander, we always were very you know, focusing on the short tactical perspective. And then you're growing up, and now uh, I'm sitting in my office and I and I try to see last three decades, but also in the context of a historical background, which is more or less 1,000 years of history of Poland. Everything changed, everything completely. So when, when I remember myself in 91, uh, you know, the structure, culture, tactics, and equipment, and everything was completely, completely different. I started my, my deployments uh, being on the Golden Heights in the beginning as a contingency commander, but then I, uh, and I was together with the U.S. Army in, the, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that was the point where we started our very close cooperation. So for me, uh, the active uh, fifth corps common post right now in Poland is it's, it's natural. So we know for for you know many years how we operate, but the uh, uh, dimension of uh, you know 1981 when there was really no Soviet Union anymore, and there was no China yet, that was completely completely different uh, situation. So in Poland, a very uh, you know uh, active dia- dialogue concerning how to improve capability, re- uh, you know the relations, how to invest properly, fast and effective enough. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the Fifth Corps, we have a divisional elements, we have uh, armored brigade, combat team, aviation. We have uh, uh, new uh, regulations, ADCA, which is uh, the big investments of Poland uh, to uh, you know, permanent presence of the U.S. Army. And also very important for me is the direction of uh, modernization of the Polish Armed Forces. So fifth generation airplane, F-35s, we will be the only country on the eastern flank having such a capability. Uh, also the long range artillery, which matters, building uh, deterrence and defense systems and uh, building strategic dilemma for, for the other side of the hill. And also air defense, which is you know, getting more and more important today including the, uh, the U.S. Patriot uh, you know, systems. So we have a plenty of platforms for discussion, as well as uh, strategic discussion in, in the frame of NATO uh, right now. So uh, we, we know exactly, I mean, Poles, uh, the role of Poland here as a strategical hub uh, in this region is absolutely critical. We approaching to our geostrategical location uh, first of all, with a huge responsibility. So we, we feel the responsibility of, uh, of, of Poland and, and our uh, you know, armed forces to build uh, th- this dimension. So uh, really, uh, for me, uh, last three decades uh, is a completely, completely different, different dimension. So Russia is back to the table. Russia is making uh, troubles, very, uh, very active directly or using another players. So uh, HR for you, uh, we just have a, a very, very hot uh, border with Belarus, which there's no question about is Russian design. We have a very complicated situation uh, in the Ukrainian-Russian border, which is our neighbor, and uh, a lot of things to be done. So we, 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 we cannot do it alone, and relation with the United States is absolutely, absolutely critical. Could you talk a little bit more about that, the threat from Russia? And, and it, you mentioned dimensions of it already, but it, it spans across Europe and beyond, right? From the Baltics and 
and what you've seen on on, on your eastern border with these uh, these massive Zapad exercises to to Belarus, and you alluded already to this weaponization of migrants at your at your border uh, to the Black Sea, and of course the the menacing mobilization of forces we see uh, along the border of Ukraine and in Crimea uh, and the ongoing war there. And what do you think? What do you think Vladimir Putin wants? And and uh, and and uh, how concerned are you? And what more do you think NATO might do to deter conflict with Russia? Right, right. The HR. Let's 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 through go through the uh, last three decades. What really happened? Sometimes people say we are very overreacting and you know uh, the Russophobic, uh, even uh, being Polish. But I would say uh, let's go with no emotions, just only facts. So this is 1991, and we look uh, in the situation the first Chechnya war. Uh, you know, using military instruments of power, you know, in, in a kind of a discipline for, uh, you know, uh, uh, Russian neighbors. Then we have a, a second Chechnya war. That was the, the time window when the Poland joined NATO was completely, you know, changing the uh, dimension. Then we have, of course, uh, 9-11 war in, in Afghanistan and Iraq. So Russia, uh, in, in a perception, disappeared. There was an implosion, a lot of uh, political, you know, problems and Economical and so on, and then uh, after uh, the NATO summit, uh, there is a Russian invasion in Georgia. So there's no question about how they're using, how they're making policy around. Mostly, it will be uh, implementing uh, military instruments of power. And then all story begins. It's the Crimea in, in uh, 2014, and we see the Russian troops in Syria with the much bigger, um, you know, strategical uh, range. We see a very active uh, uh, training cycle, very close to the Polish border, NATO borders, Zapad 17, and was last time the Zapad uh, 2020. Then we have uh, plenty of uh, of uh, you know uh, gray zone operations. So Navalny, the Belarusian crisis, designed and fueled by by uh, you know uh, Russians. Then we have uh, the Karabakh crisis. We have uh, new domains like uh, solar winds, cyber attacks, and elections, you know, uh, uh, infiltrations. Uh, there was a changing in the Russian constitutional uh, system, which keeps uh, Putin uh, power forever. We have uh, the nuclear policy uh, unclassified presented uh, for us. That is very aggressive uh, explanation how to use nuclear assets. In this the- this uh, concept of escalation domination right and, and essentially threatening europeans with uh with you know first use of nuclear weapons as a way to to blackmail uh, the united states and to to get others to sue for peace on russia's terms it's an extraordinarily destabilizing you know, doctrine but i just wanted to explain that quickly for our listeners but thank this is a great run now please continue Raymond. yeah and, and and especially when, when you're living in poland and have direct connections to the Kaliningrad oblast which which is uh huge militarized piece of uh, of Russia, including also the, the Iskander's missile system, it matters. So we see entire you know, uh, militarization uh, programs of uh, Kanye Grade. And uh, last 2021, 20, uh, uh, a lot of things, the Russian concentration, first time close to the Ukrainian borders, leveraging the you know situation. We have a weaponizing of illegal uh, migration, weaponizing of energy. We have a Ryanair uh, airplane incident forcing an airplane to land in Belarus, as well as a very aggressive you know, posture in the uh, 
and in the Black Sea, not only in the Baltic, but also in the Black Sea, the HMS destroyer, uh, as well as many others. So in the last three decades, we see that Russia is rebuilding military potential and using military instruments of power for projection and uh, and they're trying to change the order, global order, not respecting uh, multinational uh, law and, and, and relations. So for Poland, and it will be probably the, uh, very easy for you to understand. Uh, it's, there's no no space and no time. It's like a like a full the gap situation right now. So we have to be ready today. We have to present our determination and uh, not not to be aggressive, but deterrence and defense in a very active approach is uh, is the only way to to secure the country. We don't want to lose it for again for 123 years, like in the very very bad time in history. Raymond, I know a lot of these decisions are political, but what, what more do you think could be done, you know, to, to deter uh, Russia at this point? I'm thinking, you know, we, we've talked a lot about economic sanctions in the, in the past several weeks. And, and you know, uh, our Secretary of State is talking about relentless diplomacy. But, uh, you know, <laughs> as an armor officer, I'm thinking of an armored brigade, you know, in somewhere like Romania or Bulgaria uh, might might help that diplomacy and might augment. Uh, th- those those uh, those sanctions, and then, of course, I'm thinking of joint forces, including uh, significant air capabilities, as again a deterrent, right within within NATO countries. Uh, is, are, is there anything like that under consideration? And and uh, what more do you think might be done to deter uh, Vladimir Putin? Yeah, it's exactly a very very you know political questions because we we still are going. Uh, Along the uh, Clausewitz rules, so the, the Trinity, the meaning of uh, power, society, and army, and all, all of those relations still matters and, and is valid uh, today. So a war or any kind of conflict, uh, crisis, whatever the military uh, today military vocabulary vocabulary will react, new generation uh, or, or hybrid. So um, the military actions always will be uh, instruments of, of policy. So today we have uh, in our interconnected uh, world uh, many uh, instruments. Sanctions are one of them, and and uh, I think including the energy, technology, you know, uh, trade, and so on. But it, I just I think the meaning of uh, military instruments of power are still still critical. So we we can do uh, everything possible in a nation state. Uh, stage and uh, and also there is a is a mission for eastern flank for entire NATO on Western society. So what what, what I'm doing is heavily investing in the development of Polish army and any numbers but also capability. So there's a huge uh, support from my my political uh, masters, my president of Poland, my prime minister, minister of defense. Poles uh, they understand they like army, so it means uh, we have a very very good conditions to build it but of course it costs money it's it's a huge uh, you know investment we would pay and invest money for education new technologies from not necessarily for security but russians they, they, they're building a situation there's no other option so uh, investments in the army uh, as well as uh, very uh, close uh, relations with the alliance so uh, the, the weakest point is is uh, is a cohesion is understanding situation uh, from Warsaw, from another uh, capitals in the eastern flank, but also from another countries. So that's one of the, the most important points right now, presenting our determination and our cohesion 
uh, and uh, and, a, and a proactive approach is absolutely absolutely critical. What the Poland is doing, we uh, we investing a lot of money, paying two percent GDP even more, with the aspiration to, to pay much more uh, for for security. Uh, one hundred thousand uh, regular forces more, uh, actually one hundred thirteen. Then we have uh, territorial defense, so we're trying to, you know, design a system not only for conventional but also for crisis management system. We uh, we modernizing army, but also which is absolutely critical. It's uh, keeping as close as possible talk, discuss, and uh, and to build uh, good relations. Alliance matters. So in Poland, uh, we have uh, bad experiences from the Second World War in the very beginning. So finding finding along is it's not possible. So it matters for, for Poland. It's uh, also uh, the, the testament of uh, Marshal Piłsudski. He said uh, relations and uh, and the alliance matters. That that's the our direction that we go. I mean, you, you make a you make a great point. I, I think it's uh, it was, I mean, deterrence is capability times will, right? And and you're building your capabilities as much as you can and. But we also need the will factor to be clear to the Russians or others that who we want to deter from from taking action or from using violence to achieve their objectives. You know, I, I wonder how how you think NATO's doing in terms of the development of of new capabilities in response to the growing threat from Russia. Of course, um, you know, Russia has engaged in a, in a number of modernization efforts. You mentioned the long range fires capability, their tiered and layered air defense, the use of drones. Uh, and the reorganization of some of their armed forces into these, for example, these battalion tactical groups uh, that that uh, that are that have combined arms at lower levels. Could you say a little bit more about how you assess those those changes in Russian capability, and maybe place it in context of NATO capabilities and how you see us uh, us matching up? Yeah, when I'm when I look at what the Russians are doing, so definitely it's not defensive posture. So still investing in the nuclear capability. Uh, and very mobile assets. We have, uh, you know, uh, huge discussion about uh, the Iskander's calibers. They're presenting and they're communicating in the, in the Syria. They have such a capability and they really want to use it. We see brand new, uh, brand new uh, game changers, which is hypersonic technology, as well as uh, changing structure to the divisional uh, from a brigade to divisional. It means much more mobile and much more offensive oriented. So uh, there's no there's no questions that uh, this posture is not for for defense um, uh, approach. Uh, we we also observing uh, what they're doing in, in Syria and in, in Karabakh. Well, Kazakhstan is just recent uh, no Russian projection in using uh, uh, air assault. So what what the uh, what the NATO is doing right now is the composition between um, ACT and NCO. So a lot of uh, good programs and. Uh, the modernization not only in the typical physical domains that we know very well, being you know cavalry officers, but also cyber, uh, but also they you know um, something we're studying uh, heavily in Poland uh, is just cognitive warfare. So I see the tendency going from uh, war of energy to the war of emotions. It, it always historically there was always even. Uh, in the Chinggis Khan time, the, he used, uh, you know, uh, special units in the front to to make uh, propaganda and 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 uh, you know going to the people's perception, the people's mind, but not so effective like, like today in info zone. But what is very important, uh, we 
we stopped for a while and uh, there was a good refreshment. We said physical, uh, no, part of the army matters. So uh, APCs, aircrafts, uh, attack helicopters, and, and also tanks. So the, uh, definitely there's not end of the, you know, the tanks uh, anymore. We heard it many times in history, but uh, today the balancing between the hard power and the soft power is very, very critical. And uh, I'm just asking myself sometimes when, when we have uh, some historical you know, footprint or some, some points of reference, uh, for, you know, the second front, there was, a, there was a Normandy, you know it very well, and there was a second front. So the first front was a Red Army going from the east and the second front in the west. And I'm asking myself whether the, uh, the uh, cyber or perception, battle perception is the first front today or second front. So maybe we have to you know, recalibrate a little bit meaning or location of uh, uh, something what I, what I called winning the first phase. First phase is, uh, is, uh, is the info, is the cognitive you know, warfare, preventing uh, containment to the propaganda. But in the end of the day, it's always you know, nice to have uh, three you know, armored divisions to solve any kind of a problem. So balancing between uh, soft power and uh, new dimensions, something what I call first, first front today. And in the end of the day, having hard power for you know, deterrence and defense is absolutely crucial. So in NATO, we just uh, woke up a little bit and said, okay, some of the countries, they don't have armor, they don't have uh, heavy forces, ships, aircrafts. So last three decades, there was a very, uh, very good time. But we are, you know, relaxed too much. And uh, in Poland, we we are after two espresso right now. So definitely, we know what's going on and investing uh, very much in the in the security. Also, as, as you and as you mentioned, you know, Putin's strategy is, is is also the use of these unconventional forces and capabilities under the cover of uh, of conventional and, and nuclear forces. And and we have to match that, I think, with our own version of an integrated strategy. And I think what you're alluding to is a fundamental aspect of strategic competence, the ability to integrate all elements of power uh, and efforts of like-minded partners to accomplish objectives. This Russian new generation warfare uh, in which Putin tries to accomplish objectives below the threshold oftentimes of what might elicit a military response with, you know, with, with disruption and disinformation and denial, as well as dependence, right? Building energy dependence, for example, I think is a is a very significant threat that affects, as you mentioned, our, our will, right? Our our will to to deter conflict and and to to um, you know to ensure that Russia can't subvert uh, national will and and uh, and pick communities against each other and and yeah. uh, and 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 become more aggressive. So I, I I wonder what your thoughts are on what word might be done across really all these elements of power and and in particular maybe share your thoughts on the relationship between energy security and national security uh you know hr the any any discussion we have uh, here in poland uh, concerning strategy issues going to the to an energy energy point so uh, the meaning of energy consumption uh for industry for for you know development of the economy is absolutely crucial so oil gas energy electric energy is absolutely crucial so it's a, it's a point to understand complexity of uh, energy flow and also how to secure uh, in, in a combined way, not only military, but also the civilian contribution. So how to build 
something what we uh, call the resilience of a state. The today, resilience is extremely important, has a huge uh, contribution, but not necessarily in the in the dimension from a, from a Cold War. A huge mobilization, big forces, you know, uh, and heavy fires. It's a composition of uh, of uh, uh, today battlefield, which uh, you know includes the economy pressure. It's info, you know, superiority that Russia tries to build. It's, in, it's uh, not necessarily seizing territory, but controlling critical nodes, influencing, you know, governance, alternative governance, corruption, you know, riots, uh, and and uh, finally going to the to the precise strikes in all domains in in a very short conflict. So the compression of time factor today and the composition of civilian and military. Uh, you know, light forces and also heavy is, is absolutely, absolutely uh, approach. And the, uh, for Poland, we, we understand our uh, uh, strategic location. So it means that uh, between, uh, if, you, if you have a map, you see Russia on a map from Moscow across the Minsk, uh, Brest, you know, you're going to the Warsaw, then to Berlin and, and, uh, and across Europe to, to the uh, Across Atlantic, so it's a one big line of everything. It's a line of trade. It's a line of uh, historically uh, oh, highway. This is Highway One, right? Which is the this is, this is our Highway One, <laughs> and uh, and you know the, the the optic cables and everything. So uh, historically, a couple of years ago, 1812, the history very well known in France. Then we had the Barbarossa, then the Bagration operation, and even today, when we look in the map. What's going on with the the Russian uh, scenarios of the Zapad series of Zapad exercise, but also uh, illegal migration? Everything is going that way, including energy, which is very very important for for, for Poland. The second line is is horizontal uh, and and also you know the vertical lines. So uh, linkage between uh, between Finland, Tallinn, you know uh, Riga, Vilnius, going to the Warsaw and down to the Constanza and Romania is, is a is a Crossroad of everything. So uh, the energy is a critical. Uh, concerning uh, concerning gas, uh, we invested uh, very much in the infrastructure, LNG terminals in, in Poland, and uh, a lot of projects. So very soon we will be uh, completely independent concerning gas, not depending on, on Russian uh, you know, supplies, which is very, very important. And probably they know it very well. Uh, and electrical uh, energy is uh, entire production is is in Poland, but the biggest challenge, of course, is uh, is the carbon uh, emission and and the climate regulations in the European Union, but also in Poland. So we have to work much more. But also, it gives us uh, a lot of uh, inspiration in army how to secure in the peacetime those critical infrastructure, you know, reconnaissance, intelligence, uh, you know, elements. The cyber security, but also physical, uh, you know, force protection, and uh, in the peacetime, in the crisis, which is which is new gen generation warfare, and finally also how to secure this this infrastructure, uh, the energy infrastructure during wartime, we expect will be very very dynamic, very short. So the energy for economy, for security of the country, but as well for uh, typical military activity, is is a lot of uh, common points. So gas uh, is, is really good, uh, you know, investments. Oil, we're still working on it. Uh, and uh, it leads us to the point, which is, of course, uh, political in the dimension 
which will be uh, potentially nuclear you know, power plants for, uh, for green energy in the future. It will be good for, uh, for economy, but of course it will be a nightmare for me to secure it. I'll be responsible as well for security. So always, you know, we have uh, challenges. I think the, the way I think about it is we can't afford any more non-solutions, right, to these interconnected problems of energy security and climate and carbon emissions and, and nuclear and, and, and natural gas as a bridge away from, from you know, the dirtier fossil fuels have to be part of that conversation. And I know Poland's right at the center of that in, in terms of your emphasis now on LNG exports in part from the United States, as well as, as, well as your emphasis on nuclear power. Uh, you know, economic competition is is connected obviously to national security as well and i think you're giving a, you're giving us a great lesson here on what you know what, what geopolitics really means because you're talking about the importance of geography and you're giving us a a lesson about what geoeconomics a term that's often used but i think little understood what that means as well in connection with uh with energy security i wonder if we might leave europe and and go a little bit even further to the east, to China, and and I, right. I would love to hear your thoughts on on the geopolitical and geoeconomic competition with China, especially now that we see China brandishing its coercive power uh, against Lithuania, for example, uh, as they have done against other countries in Europe. And 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 where do you see the competition with China going from your perspective in Poland, and 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 uh, and and what is the Polish Armed Forces doing uh, to to prepare better for that? that geostrategic competition. So HR, you'll, you'll be su surprised how many times we're starting and discussing China and Poland. So it's not a completely uh, no, uh, uh, unknown uh, topic, but it's very important for, for us to calibrate what, what it really means. So uh, I always say, is that possible? Uh, another fact to be very, very selfish and looking only in your region. So you have to understand all players of the game. So I'm trying to understand what the, What's the scale of uh, you know the China competition for U.S. because it still consume you 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 assets and capability. We have to uh, you know um, keep in mind that uh, it's uh, it's extremely uh, important what's going on in the far you know far Pacific in the in the Taiwan and entire region Korea Japan you know, Australia. So uh, it's not like uh, we, we don't discuss in Poland. Uh, however, uh, it's. Um, for, for, for today, what we see right now, it's not easy to feel the, the Chinese contribution, but we expect them, especially concerning uh, info security, uh, the 5G, 5G uh, technologies, the uh, penetration, uh, in the systems, you know, state system, but also in army. So the China is, is uh, absolutely critical and important. What they're doing, uh, human rights, uh, they approach to the, the, our standards, uh, well, the, the, very often I see some comparison between uh, the Cold War and competition with the Soviet Union and, uh, and the China. I, I not necessarily agree, but the, the differences, if you, uh, if you look in the, in the competition between the United States or NATO uh, and Soviet Union or Warsaw Pact, it was not about the economy. So Soviet Union was not competitor in economy. There was nothing uh, in the in the um, you know culture. There was not finding uh, ideology. You know, they, maybe a little bit, but not necessarily. The, the Soviet culture was not so so attractive to, and, and effective to influence the Western society. The same technology. Russia didn't have anything to present uh, 
and uh, the US you know, security sanctions and limitations, there was no chance for, for Russians to use it, except of course illegal issues and, and finance and so on. So the only uh, area area to, for competition was armed. China is different. So Ch China is challenging it economically everybody in a very aggressive way. China is, is also um, challenging in, in the culture. So all of the you know institutes uh, in, in Europe. So we see in the typical Sun Tzu approach. So time, time they they, they get a time. These are the Confucius Institutes, which we have in the United States yeah. as well, and exactly. Chinese it's, students and scholars associations and various front so, organizations for the for their united front, right? Which is yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. So that that's a completely different when you compare. It's not a Cold War, uh, you know, comparison. And the same technology, they're investing and in, you know, uh, challenging everybody, having pretty pretty good economical you know presentation because the, the, the contracts they they proposing are in a short time uh, sometimes sometimes financially or economically attractive. So the, this is not a is a much bigger scale, a much bigger trend long term. It's not only for for US but also for. Uh, uh, everybody, entire Western society, how we approach it. So what I see what's going on right now in Australia and the investments in the security, uh, we had a very good discussion with Hugh White uh, and one of his books was also translated to uh, to the Polish. And I, I wish I had you books translated to Polish. Anyway, so so make some some you know investments here. Will be, uh, however, it is highly recommended for my general. So don't worry, they stay, they're reading in English. And uh, so the China is, is long-term uh, the challenger and probably it's not like we imagine right now that the Chinese tanks are going across to Europe. They will be you know, investing in infrastructure, changing the, uh, the flow of goods and, uh, and then finally they will decide where to go. What, what I see in Poland, one of the long-term uh, threats will be Northern Road open, I mean, Arctic's, uh, the climate is, you know, uh, climate change, and finally open this road, which is more or less 10, 12 days shorter for business, for global business is amazing, you know, uh, factor. And then uh, if the, uh, what, what I see, the Russians also investing in the, in the Arctic capabilities. So again, everything from the White Sea across to Finland, across the uh, Baltic states is going to the Poland. So we will be Again, in a strategical crossroads. So we observe uh, China and, and assess, and I think it will be a huge uh, economical, cultural, technological, financial, and a final security challenger. It is, and it will be soon much more important. Uh, Raymond, you know, I, I saw Polish forces fight with great distinction in in, in Iraq and, and in Afghanistan, and I saw them fight with particular distinction under your command in, in Ghazni. Uh, in in Afghanistan while while I was there, uh, and you know I, I know it's been it's been heartbreaking for all of us who've served there to see what's happened with the collapse in Afghanistan. I wonder if you might share your thoughts about uh, ab about the 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 withdrawal and the collapse in in Afghanistan, and and maybe your thoughts on what the consequences might be, and 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 what concerns you about it. Yeah, it's it's extremely difficult for me to to assess because I still have a very very emotional approach. So I, I love. You know, seven poles and also four American soldiers were under my command in my in, in the Ghazni province. So uh, I still uh, see the, the Afghanistan through the lens of our sacrifice and, and our, you know, fighting for for values for everything uh, in, in um, which is important in life. 
difficult to, to assess today from uh, some reasons I, I say uh, there were some points uh, you know uh, to decide where to withdraw the troops of course is is still a huge uh, you know studies where point what time what scale or, or methodology was the most much more effective so difficult to say well what I'm afraid is uh, we we left the country with the situation uh, I have a bad feeling as uh, someone who studied history of warfare, there will be some, some you know, going back to the this historical uh, historical highways. So uh, today, everybody is focusing on COVID. And everybody is focusing what's what Russia is, is, is doing here, which is natural, especially for Poland, it's our neighbors. But in the long-term perspective, if the uh, in, if the situation in Afghanistan is not solved, they have you know uh, no uh, no money uh, no effective governance finally uh, the people will start to leave and and immigrate and go back to the western europe so that's what's going on what we see right now we see uh, the uh, immigration flow from from iraq you know kurdistan we see also afghanis many other uh, terrorist organizations so uh, in the long term perspective we we have to again sit down and, and discuss what's what's really going on. Who 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 runs? Who leads Afghanistan today? Nobody knows. So it's it's unresolved uh, problem, and and uh, we we will be soon that we expect back uh, to the to the situation, and, and we're facing the the challenges pretty soon. What bothers me is I think we're not even learning from the real about the real lessons from Afghanistan. Uh, and and under this mantra of you know ending endless wars, but of course, as we know, wars don't end when one party disengages. And and I think the Af Afghan war is just entering a new, actually more dangerous phase with you know with the refugees and uh, the horrible humanitarian crisis there. But yeah, but as you're alluding to, you know that's tied to a security a security threat uh, associated with jihadist terrorism, which hasn't gone away. You know, so I. Um, uh, well, th thank you for your leadership and your service there and the sacrifice of your soldiers. You know, I thought maybe we could end with an easy, an easy question, right? We're both familiar with heavy metal in the form of armored vehicles and, and, and tanks. Uh, but, you know, I, I know you have a grueling job and schedule. And, but, you know, you, uh, I think that you also are familiar with another kind of heavy metal, heavy metal music, which gets you <laughs> motivated. So oh, yeah, it is. I, it I, is. Wonder, I wonder if you might... Share your thoughts on the connection between armored warfare and heavy metal music, and what you listen to to get yourself motivated. So mostly, uh, yeah, you know, mostly I'm, I'm listening to Iron Maiden, uh, but you, of course, Metallica is my is my favorite one. So probably it's a kind of an energy, something uh, which is uh, which is not uh, possible to explain. Uh, I always say we have uh, two kinds of uh, soldiers: that those that serve in the cavalry and those that really want to be. Uh, part of our family so uh but i uh, i think um, it is not end of uh, the typical conventional uh, you know armor uh, units or capabilities we still in the end of the day needs uh, you know 50 or 70 tons something to uh, to present our determination it's a matter of composition uh, of course you know blue for trackers systems uh, situational awareness technology matters but uh, the most important, what, what I'm always saying, the most important, it's uh, is something in your mind and in your heart. So uh, I, I'm sometimes calling my 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 soldiers digital cavalry 
it means you are digital in in your capability to use new technology but your heart is still cavalry it means you know quick decisions uh, the the brave uh, approach uh, good tactics and uh, patriotism so composition of uh, you know heart and 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 mind is is still still critical and of course with some kind of a uh, good heavy metal music <laughs> right after the battle 73 easting you know, we had these new oh, things yeah. called Walkmans, right? Where you could, okay. you could play tapes, right? And one of my platoon sergeants came up and he said, hey, you have to listen to this song. It just had just come out, Thunderstruck, if you remember that song. It's absolutely. It's, it's and, absolutely well known. And he said, this is what we did. This is what we did yesterday. If you And, and it, 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 it was, it was, it evoked kind of the, you know, at least a, that proximate, you know, memory of, of the battle the day before. But I, I do, I do, I do thank you so much. I'll tell you, uh, uh, General Andrejic, you you're, you've given us a lot to think about uh, in terms of the the current situation in Europe, what the Polish Armed Forces are doing, and you're reminding us of the long alliance we've had with Poland going back to the days of our revolution. And and uh, I can't thank you enough. Anything you'd like to say in conclusion before we sign off here? Well, uh, you know, the living in Poland is is uh, full of challenges uh, historically, geographically, and many other. Points, but the most important is the feeling of being a member of a good family. And, uh, and I met many American generals and officers, some of them colonels now they uh, you know, have promotion and uh, two, uh, one, two, three or four stars. So it's a very, very good family of uh, good patriots and good warriors. So in this family, we feel safer and uh, I'm pleased to say for any of uh, good friends of mine in the US that they have friends in Poland and and uh, I still believe our deterrence and defense will be enough to solve the problems. But if not, uh, we will present anything we'll, we present the last one, uh, 1,000 years in, hi in the history of Poland. So we're going to defend Poland then, uh, absolutely. Andrzejczyk, on behalf of the Hoover Institution, thank you uh, for helping us learn more about battlegrounds important to building a, a future of peace and prosperity for generations to come. It was great to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Battlegrounds is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, to hear more of our podcasts, or view our video content, please visit hoover.org.